0: Lord, we want to lift up this people group this morning that we prayed for last week uh, as the people group in, in Pac- Pakistan. Lord, this morning we want to pray for the same people group in India, the Pashtun people, million strong. Lord, we pray that you would stir hearts and minds to want to know their creator. Lord, we pray that you would give them a sense of the bankruptcy of Hindu and uh, uh, Islam and that they would see that you are the good God triune. Uh, In Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would stir in them not only uh, a desire to know their Creator, but you would couple that with visions and dreams. Lord, that you would connect that to the good Word hitting the soil of the heart through people that are burdened to go, people who can't stay. Lord, we pray that you would mobilize uh, young people, uh, families, young people, or young families to the far corners of the field to enjoy you among the Pashtun people group. And Lord, we pray for workers that may be uh, there now. Lord, we pray for boldness. We pray for effectiveness. We pray for uh, uh, truth uh, to just be so stirring in them that they can't stay silent. Uh, Lord, we are entrusting this massive request, this massive people group to you. Lord, also this morning we want to pray for our brother Steve. and um, Lord, we share the desire of our hearts for healing. Uh, for a miraculous, uh, power-displaying, shocking, um, doctor-confounding healing. Lord, we confess and declare and know that you're able, uh, and we ask you and share with you the desire of our heart. Lord, we pray for Karen, Lord, that you would sustain her, that you would uh, give her just a tangible, tangible, sense of your presence and your goodness and love for her and her family. Lord, we pray with Karen that Steve would not be uh, anxious, that if he has a sense of what's going on, that you would give him a piece of your love and care for him as a good father. Lord, we pray that you would give Karen somehow peace in whatever unfolds in the next few days. Lord, we are entrusting this dear family to you. Lord, lastly, this morning, I want to pray for this church family. We uh, celebrate what you are doing and what you uh, can potentially do through the local churches of our community. And this morning, Lord, we ask you that you would bless us. Lord, I ask that you would bless us with fidelity, uh, that we would be attentive, that we would be faithful, that we would be mindful that we would walk in the mercy that was won for us um, through the work of the cross, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would guard us from ever just getting a check in the block of going to church, but that instead we would be the people of God. Lord, to pray that you would bless these few minutes that we have together and stir our hearts to walk faithfully with you as a people. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. What in the world are we even doing here? What is this thing about? I leaned over to Christy sometime between 2000 and 2003, sitting in a pew in Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, and asked that question, what are we even doing It wasn't a skeptical question. It wasn't somehow a critical question. It was just trying to figure out what are we even doing when we gather in a church on a Sunday morning? What are we even doing being part of a church? In regards to the Sunday morning gatherings, who's the audience? Is God the audience? Is He the focus of our praise? Should we be more concerned about songs that are pleasing to Him then than songs that are pleasing to us? Or are we the audience where God performs for us on Sunday X? Is a Sunday morning gathering for those who know the Lord or those who don't? Is the message aimed at those who are walking with Christ and need to be equipped Are those who don't know Christ, and God may open the eyes of their hearts through Sermon X. Can both of those be accomplished in the same sermon? These were questions that Christy and I were thinking on in that window, 2000-2003. Questions that we've carried into the last 18 years here. Questions we still visit. Here's some others that have developed over the years. How is a disciple made? Is a disciple made through um, a decision? A conversion experience? On Sunday Morning X, are we aiming at those to make those decisions and to have those moments that they can look back on that will transform their lives forevermore, forevermore? Or... Are disciple-making, is the disciple-making venture more protracted? Does it take place over weeks and months and years and decades? Are we playing the short game of conversion and decisions? Are we playing the long game of relentless investments in people's lives over weekly meals over the course of months and years? What should a Sunday look like? Man, that's a big question. Man, I can imagine if we had a poll in here, the variety of responses. What should a Sunday look like? How long should a sermon be? (laughs) Right? (laughs) I think the record here is an hour and 40 minutes. It was Greg Fields. No, it was me. (laughs) I'm kidding. It was me. It was me. I, it was two CDs. I remember Bill telling me, These, it hit two, two CDs. Man, let me tell you, the nursery workers were livid. <laughs> They're ready, ready to exercise church discipline on me. How long should a sermon be? How many passages are too many? How many are too few? Does it have to be funny? to be heard does it have to be interesting is the aim to be practical is that my goal as a preacher is that what we look for as a people practicality is it possible in a sermon to go too deep is it possible for it to to be too light that connects back to our earlier question who's this thing for is it for found folk Or lost folk? Here's a whole new list of questions. What are we to do with Greenville? What in the world are we to do with a community that's full of folks who say they like and possibly even love Jesus, yet have little to no use for the church? What in the wide world of sports do you do with that community? We need the wisdom of Solomon for that question. What are we supposed to say to our neighbors who say they love and maybe even like Jesus but have no use for gathering with the people? Are we to say anything? Are we to sleep at night believing, well, at least they love Jesus? Are we to be concerned that possibly they're hellbound because they don't know Jesus at all? Are we in a spot to make that call? Should that question condition how we move between sunup and sundown? Should it inform the way we move with people in the workplace or in our neighborhoods or our friends and family that say they love Jesus yet have no use for his wife, the bride of Christ? What in the world are we to do with Greenville? How can we sleep at night not at least considering that question? Most of Greenville believes they're saved, yet has no use for his bride. Is church that essential, or are we just the suckers? Are we the suckers that are duped with the thought that we're going to give up our Sunday mornings while everybody else, they got it going on, staying at home, knocking out all their to-do's list, going on all their fishing trips, having all the fun in the world while we're the suckers that show up on Sundays? What are we to do with Greenville? What are we to do with this circumstance? Man, these are big, big questions. If we believe... The church is essential. If we believe as our reformers believed, our early church fathers believed, that there's no salvation apart from the church, how do we keep from simply attending? Anybody else recognize that that's a danger of just showing up? Just getting our check in the block? Coming and going and breathing in shared space, yet not connecting in any meaningful way to what just takes place week after week? Is there anybody else in here that can acknowledge that's a possibility? Or is attending just the aim? Is that our goal? Just show up and breathe together? Is our goal to fill a worship center on Sunday morning with fellow breathers? Or is it our goal to equip and mobilize the people into Monday? And if so, what does that look like? How does that condition the time that we spend together? Is our goal to galvanize a people to hang on to Jesus in a world that's cursed and failing? How are we supposed to do this thing called church? Does anybody else want to ask these questions? These are the questions that stirred me and Christy years ago to say, man, yeah, let's be part of a plant. Let's together gather with the people that are sharing these questions. What are we even doing? A group of people that don't want to go through the motions. A people that don't want to get our church on and are checking the block. But believe this thing, considering the blood of Christ, should be living, organic experience. Let's do that together with some folks that are asking these questions. That's what led us to plant 18 years ago. We ask the question then, and we've asked the question nearly every week since then, how are we supposed to do this thing? How do we do this timeless, ancient thing called church in a changing world? (sighs) While we're changing in it, right? Here's a good question. How do we avoid making people mad? (laughs) Are we supposed to? Is that my job? Is that the mark of a good pastor that never makes anybody mad? Is that the mark of a good church that never makes anybody mad? Is that the mark of a good Christian that never says anything to ever offend anyone? If we're supposed to make people mad at times, if so, then who and when? And under what circumstances? Dealing with what topics? Right? I mean, it's a buffet of topics. What matters? What issues? Politics? Are we supposed to be vocal about politics? Borders? Are we supposed to have a Christ-informed opinion on the borders? Is that our job here in Greenville, to talk guns? Are we supposed to be deeply involved in LGBTQ circumstances and situations? I hope I didn't miss a letter there. I didn't miss it on purpose. I, I, I mean that. Are we supposed to be involved in gender issues, voting issues? Are we not supposed to ever make anybody mad? Are we never supposed to talk money? We don't want to offend anybody, make them think that's all we're about. Do we never talk money? Do we never talk how we spend our time? Do we never talk gluttony, greed, greed? Are we supposed to avoid all those things that's ever going to make anybody uncomfortable? How are we supposed to navigate issues like reopening and masks? Man, these are the kind of questions we're dealing with every single week. Ministry decisions. Is our goal to never make anyone mad? Music choices. Right? How many churches have had arguments over music choices? Is that our goal? To just avoid all conflict ever? How do we contend and compete with other activities? How about that question? How does the church contend with and compete with all the other activities that are out there? Are we supposed to bring these up? Or are we supposed to avoid those topics and let the Spirit change people's hearts? That's the kind of questions that we're thinking on and chewing on and considering. In what way or at what point are we how the Holy Spirit is speaking to others? What gives us the right? Right? At what point did maybe Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah say, can you let the Spirit do this talking for me because I'm not really interested? I'm taking a beating. At what point is the church supposed to deal with with these kinds of issues? When does a sense... Let Let me rephrase this. When does a season of extracurricular activities and interests become full-fledged syncretism and apostasy? At what point does just a short season become a life apostate? And at what point do the shepherds have a responsibility to speak up? Man, these are hard questions. If I'm answerable as a pastor to the living God for the souls in this church with four other men, if we together are answerable, how are we supposed to do this thing with so many opinions on so many different things? Can I ask that question out loud? These are the questions that we're asking one another These are the questions that roll through my head in bed at night. How in the world are we supposed to do this thing? How am I supposed to do it with unpaid volunteers who also have jobs and busy lives? How are we to find some sense of excellence with people just doing it in their spare time? When their lives are just super saturated with other activities? How in the world... Are we to give Christ our best when we're barely hanging on? Can I ask that question? Can we together this morning consider that question? Is this thing supposed to run like a well-oiled machine? Like a business just ticking right along? Or is it supposed to move and run like a family? with its own version of insufficiencies, in efficiencies, should be the word. Maybe insufficiencies fits too. Is this a family or a business? Is that a question we can ask this morning? Speaking of family, how committed are we supposed to be? Till death do us part? Anybody up for that? I'm not up for that. And I'm the pastor here of 18 years. I like the level of a meaning, I like the thought of a meaningful commitment, though. Are we supposed to have a wafer thin commitment to one another that can we can pull chalks on at any moment? Pull chalks is a military term. You, you pull the chalks out of a plane where the plane can then take off down the runway. Pull chalks. I'm out. My commitment to this bride, this church, is so wafer thin that the first thing that bothers me, I'm out. Is that supposed to be what we expect? Are we supposed to expect, for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and health, till death parts us? Ugh. These are really good questions. What does God want us to do in regards to our commitment to one, to one another? What is God-honoring? How much commitment would God want us to have toward one another? What am I answerable for? That's what I want to know as Ben McGraw this morning. Starting into our 18th, this will be our, I don't know how the numbers would work. 18 years here, or 18 into 19 year. What am I answerable for? What is God going to hold me accountable for in this coming year? How many people show up on a Sunday? I don't think so. How many people were on our attendance rolls on Sunday? I don't think so. But I'm asking these questions. What am I going to be accountable for when I stand before the living God? What does it mean that I, with four other men, am accountable for people's souls? Man, these are big, big, fat questions. I began asking, as I mentioned earlier with Christy, these questions when I was in seminary, sitting in the Sunday morning worship services at Travenue Baptist in Fort Worth. Who is this thing for? What are we even doing here? Is it for the lost? Is it for the found? Can we accomplish all in the same service and the same message? In the 18 years into this work, Hardly a day goes by that I'm not asking many of these same questions. My days off, as much as I would like to just completely park all these questions and these thoughts and these concerns, it doesn't work. I guarantee it doesn't work for four other men in this room either that are thinking on these thoughts every single day because they matter. And because for me, this isn't a job. And for these men, it's not just a job in the church. It's a calling. These questions fill every single day. This thing called church is one of the most challenging ventures I have ever been on. In fact, I'll tell you right now, it is the most challenging venture. The only thing that I have to compare it to, after I graduated from college, I went into the Marine Corps. I went through the basic school, six months, infantry officers course, three months. I went to a casualty replacement company, was going to replace dead lieutenants, Desert Storm. Desert Storm came and went. It didn't happen. I mean, the, the storm happened, the war happened, but the dead lieutenants part didn't. I showed up to my unit in Okinawa, went through a training cycle with my unit, Deployed to Somalia, led Marines, 101 Marines, to land in Mogadishu, Somalia. This is harder than that. By a mile. Lead Marines is easy. First of all, they're paid. Second of all, they signed up for something really hard. Third of all, everybody's wearing the same uniform. You know who the good guys are. Everybody's wearing desert camo and everybody's got a flag on their shoulder. I can't remember which shoulder it's on, one of their shoulders. The good guys are easy to recognize. And the bad guys all shoot AK 47s and they shoot at you. (laughs) They're easy to identify. Church work, though, gracious sakes alive. Which way do we look? When do we duck? In church work, unlike the Marine Corps, we have an agent who will do everything in his power with an invisible army who's been at this for thousands of years to foil every effort. It's the hardest thing that I have ever put my hand to. Anyone who doesn't believe in the devil, And in demons, this invisible army that I'm talking about should devote his life or her life to church work. And guess what? You will meet him. (laughs) You will meet him often. He will do all that he can to foil every effort, right? He will pour cold water on every conviction. He will reel back every advance. He'll work at snatching every seed from every heart every single Sunday. Those Sundays where you have spent yourself on a sermon that you believe is going to bless the people of God, the very people that you believe will bless the most, are out of town that Sunday. (laughs) Oh, man, it's like clockwork. You set your clock by it. Bam. Like like chronographic. (laughs) Anybody who doesn't believe in the devil and demons needs to put their hand to church work. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. He'll distract folks from the scandal of the gospel in whatever way he can. With some of the most ridiculous of issues. And you'll look around going, how's he doing this? The scandal of the gospel that if you're trusting Christ fills this room, people that are heaven bound because someone else paid for our sins can get distracted with the most meaningful, stupid things in the world. Parents, please forgive me for saying stupid. I know your kids will remind you of that. Maybe you can tell them why this really is stupid. The devil's busy. He loves to eat churches for lunch. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. He will call to attention each other's shortcomings. They'll be on display. Meanwhile, yours will be invisible. (laughs) He doesn't call in attention yours. It's everyone else's. He'll offer a buffet of activities every night and every day of the week other than gathering with God's people too. This is a challenging, challenging work. It's because of these many challenging questions that we as a people yearly recommit to do this thing as best as we can. As best as we possibly can. Because of the difficulty of this great work and because there's a very real agent doing all he can to thwart the work, we make a yearly effort To recommit to this thing. We believe together because of the importance of it. In the span of eternity. I want you to hear that. The importance of what we're doing here on routine Sundays. And between Sundays as we gather and spend time together. As we have meaningful conversations with each other. In the span of eternity. Makes us revisit this yearly. We believe It requires a yearly revisit, asking and answering the question, what are we even doing? So that's what we're doing today, and this is what church means to us at Crosspoint Fellowship. We are an accountable people. I'm going to go over a few things really briefly this morning, and then we're going to have lunch together. Some of you are hearing this for the first time. Some of you are hearing it maybe for, I think we've had a membership renewal Probably 12 or 13 times. We're an accountable people. First of all, we're a people. Church is not an activity. Church is not, is not a place. If you stick around Crosspoint, you'll probably hear in time someone say, I'm going up to the church building. Now, nobody's going to fix you or correct you if you say something otherwise. I'm going to church this morning. Nobody's going to say, oh, don't say that. But we as a church use a little bit different language typically. We're going to go to the church building and we're going to have corporate worship because we are the church. It's not a place you go. It's not an address. It's not 2401 Jack Finney. It's a people. It's an identity. It's not an activity. If it's an activity, it can be bumped from your schedule with all the other activities that you have to do. If it's an identity, though, it shapes your whole schedule. It shapes how you move because it's who you are. That's what we are. We are a people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, so that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once we were not a people, and now we are God's people. We had not received a mercy, but now we have received mercy. Church is a people walking in God's mercy. That's who we are. It's not an activity. It's not an address on Jack Finney Boulevard. And it's a people who are accountable to one another. Not as meddlers, but as people who have a meaningful involvement and presence in one one another's lives. It was Cain who said, what, am I my brother's keeper? Church is a group of people who actually believe we are a brother's keeper. Not as meddlers, but as brothers and sisters who have each other's backs. As brothers and sisters who stand shield to shield against the ploys of Satan. As brothers and sisters who want to have a meaningful presence in each other's lives, guarding one another, not just tending to our own, but caring for each other like we're truly members of one another. Church is an accountable people. Church is a led and leadable people. We believe that Paul planted churches in the Roman Empire and he put elders in place. Plural. Plural. Listen to this passage in Acts 14. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It doesn't say when they had appointed an elder in every church, a pastor in every church, but elders in every church. We believe in plural leadership at Crosspoint Fellowship. A group of men, ordained and called, And these men, the character of these men and how they move, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, be on guard for yourselves. This is what Paul told the the Ephesian elders. He said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. These men should know all of you. If our church outgrows this plural leadership, then we need to plant another church so these people can be known. So these elders can know their flock. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed to you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's why this is not a job for me. Because you were blood bought. And according to my calling and the calling of four other men, we should give you our best. Blood bought. It's not a job. It's a calling. The men in the early church and the men in this church are answerable first and foremost to guard and preach the message. First and foremost, the administrative stuff matters. Let me tell you, the administrative stuff matters. But first, And foremost, our job is to guard and preach and teach the truth about Christ. And then to do the very best we can to walk that out with you, right next to you, in a way that's genuine, in a way that's available, in a way that's attentive. I believe then in the early churches, I believe now this plurality, this group of elders is better and wiser as a group of men than we would be by ourselves. Rather than just one guy together, we have a wisdom that is a complement of each other's. We have a gifting that complements one another. Together we have something that each of us don't have individually. The men then and the men now are charged with knowing and shepherding people as best they can while being themselves real men also. Real men with finite energies and finite time. Men that are bound to the same constraints that you are. Men that are not superpowers, superhuman. Men that are made of the same stuff you are. Also, with the exception of me, unpaid. Volunteers. Running on calories and calling. That's it. Calories and calling. The church is led by Christ-adoring, God-dependent human elders. And as we believe the church is to be led by a group of gentle shepherds, we believe, too, the church is to follow those leaders. We believe that with everything in us. The congregation is to follow the Lord or to follow uh, the leadership of of the church as they follow the Lord, like a wife follows the Lord as she submits to her husband. She's aiming at Christ while she follows the leadership of her husband. And she honors him in doing so. And that's what we believe, the same circumstance with the local church. And as disappointing as a husband can be at times... Man, four other guys I know would raise their hand with me right now if I asked them. We'll disappoint you. But you follow the Lord as you follow their leadership. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls. That's what's at stake here. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. The church is led and leadable. The church is taught and teachable. We believe the church is to gather regularly for the equipping of the saints. That's who we're aiming at on Sunday mornings. We're aiming at those who know Him. To equip you to share with those who don't. That's where we've landed as a church. Some churches land at the ladder. Let's aim for those who don't know Him. And Sunday after Sunday, maybe the guy that's filling this role as their teaching pastor actually has the gift of evangelism. And people may come to know the Lord week after week as they have altar calls, they have some of the things that may be more familiar to some of us. But at least for this church, He's called us week after week to equip the saints. To be salty, bright, and aromatic everywhere you go. To be able to share Christ wherever you go. As men and women of sincerity, to speak in Christ as you deploy into your neighborhoods and your workspaces on Monday. To come Sunday realizing I'm being equipped for this. I'm being readied and steeled and galvanized to enjoy Christ in every clime and place. That's our philosophy of ministry here anyway. We believe 2 Timothy 3:16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. We believe it's sufficient for every good work. Like every good work. So what else do we have in addition to teaching the word and preaching the word? We're one trick pony. That's all we got. But we believe it's sufficient. We believe it's powerful. We believe it's living. We believe it's active. So that's what we're going to bring week after week after week. And we believe, too, that this people, this God's people at Crosspoint Fellowship need this diet. So much so that holidays and special occasions and maybe the occasional open weekend aren't viable sustenance. But we need a weekly diet. I believe as I prepare to preach each week that God's people want to need to hear the preached word. I believe that. And I also know that that will come in seasons. As sure as Paul told Timothy, there'll be seasons where it's in and seasons where it's out. That's not my business. That's not our business. The only, only thing we're called to is to keep preaching, big boy. Keep preaching. We're called also to be loved and loving. We believe God loved the world in this way, that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a surgical love. God loved the world in this way. Like He loved the world with Noah and some instructions of how to build an ark. Like He loved the world with a call to Abram. Like He loved the world with David and the leadership of Israel. Like He loved the world with a burning bush and a call to Moses. To lead Israel out of Egypt. We believe God's love for the world is surgical and especially in the person and work of Christ. So that's how we love one another with Christ. You say you love your neighbor, but you're not going to share with them the goodness of Christ. I'm not sure that you do. It's how we love our neighbors, it's how we love our community. We provide for the hungry, fish, hands of compassion, meals on wheels, um, seeds, ministries. We have many opportunities that our church is connected to. But those are coupled to the good news and the personal person, work of Christ. That's how we love our neighbor. Surgically and especially in the person of Christ. We believe loving others means an otherness to our movement. Where we are conscious of other people's lives. That we're not just about getting ours and tending to our own needs. But that we're sacrificial with our time, money, and efforts for others. For orphans and widows and some pure and undefiled religion. In our workplaces with those who don't know Him and aren't walking with the people. And in our communities, we want to be attentive to the hungry, and the pregnant, and alone, and the needy. Rafa, fish, hands of compassion, seeds for the city, bowls, a new connection to bowls ministry. What wonderful opportunities we have in front of us as a church. If you're part of this church right now and you feel like, man, we're not doing these things. No, you're not doing these things. Let's, let's be really specific. You're not doing these things. There are people all in this congregation right now that are mobilized in all of these ministries with an otherness that is a reflection of being loved and loving our community. Man, that's who we want to be. We want to be a serving and giving people. We believe the church isn't just about being served. If, If church is just for you about how you're being served, then, man, you are so, so missing out. Church is no more just about being served than a marriage is just about having your needs met. Right? Anybody married in here agree that that would be the worst marriage ever? And that makes for the worst church experience ever. If it's just about being served... Man, you're going to live in a place of discontentment. It's a tragic, tragic circumstance. Church is a people with an otherness to our movement with each other. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Man, let me just encourage y'all with the thought. How we tend to one another is a great testimony to our community. You realize we can make our community jealous of how we love one another? You know what that's called? It's called evangelism. That's the long arm of evangelism is a church that's involved in each other's lives in a meaningful way so that we can identify one another's needs and so we meet those needs. People in the community go, man, have you heard what people do with one another and how they care for one another at Crosspoint Fellowship? Man, I want to go taste and see what's going on there. And then they come to find, oh, we're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And we want to be serious about being involved in each other's lives to where we can identify and meet one another's needs and care for each other in a way that is otherworldly. We are a baptized people. The church is a people who are washed. We are washed. Our confession and our trust in Christ and our union with Him by faith are punctuated with water. We're joining the ancients when we do this. When you submit to this as your confession and trust in Christ is coupled with water, punctuated with water, you're joining Noah and his family as they survive the floods. You're joining Israel as they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and God delivered His people through the watery ordeal. You're joining the nation of Israel at the end of the wilderness wandering when they crossed the Jordan. You're joining Moses when he got in a tiny little wee ark and floated and survived in the Nile. You're joining Jesus when He was baptized. You're joining the disciples when they're in a boat in the middle of, a, in the, middle of the sea of Galilee, in the middle of the worst storm ever. And Jesus says... Peace be still. And he delivers his people through one watery deal after another. We're a washed people. A confessional people, trusting Christ. Washed as he does with his people. Just like he does with sacrifices. Washed before they're placed on the altar. Like he does with priests. Washed when they're ordained. That's who we are, a washed, baptized people. If you're trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, if you're united to Him by faith and you've not been washed, then it's time. It's time. Lastly, we're people who sup together week after week after week. We're people who race to a good meal, a shared meal. We're people who recognize it's a covenant meal. It's but a wee little snack, unimpressive. Unimpressive. But it means so much. It's a covenant meal. It's our Passover meal as we enjoy the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. It sustains this people, it nourishes this people till Christ returns. Church is the most challenging thing I've ever put my hand to, but of all the things I've put my hand to, it's eternal. I love being a dad. I've got three awesome kids that I love so much. I've got a daughter in law now that I love too. But you know what? That's temporary. They're going to spend eternity in heaven not palling around with dad. They're going to spend eternity in heaven enjoying their groom, Christ, because their sons and daughters are the high king of heaven more than their sons and daughters of Ben McGraw. And you know what else? I love that woman right there. With everything in me. But this is temporary too. My marriage matters so much to me. And man, I do it so poorly so often. (laughs) But it's such a relentless blessing. God is so good to us. He's, man, he's sanctified Ben McGraw so much in our marriage and continues to. This is a treasure. But this too is temporary. We're not going to be married in heaven. This thing we do together, this thing that we just can just show up and just get a check in the block, this thing that can be a routine week after week that we can come and go and just breathe together, is eternal. We're week by week enjoying a risen king who's a being. We're not just together collecting and gathering and considering a few ideas, we're engaging a being. And we're preparing ourselves for eternity. We're on an eternal journey here, in the life of the church. That's how important this is. Family matters, man, doesn't it? I hope you hear that at crosspoint. Marriage matters. But gracious sakes alive, this thing is an eternal experience that we're all together. how we move together, what we do with one another how we minister to each other, how we treat one another, how we walk in grace and mercy with one another. Those are all eternal matters. We're part of an eternal bride. She doesn't get parked when we die. The church just continues on with our Lord in a new heavens and new earth. Man, I don't know how to say this is any more important than that. So it calls for a real and meaningful commitment. You guys have done a good job hanging in here. I know this has been kind of long. It's been thorough. I want to assume nothing in ministry. And I want to take nothing for granted in ministry. What I've realized over the years is when you make assumptions, people get, they just miss things. I want to assume nothing, and I want to take nothing for granted. I want us to have a meaningful revisit of what it means to be part of the local church every year because the devil's going to tell you it's insignificant unimportant who cares it's even optional in greenville but meanwhile god's word says otherwise and we believe it's sufficient for every good work man this matters this matters real and regular commitment and that's what we're doing today, April 25th, 2021. Let's do this in faith together, asking him to hold us close to him and each other this coming year. Let's ask him together to bind our wandering hearts to him, to thee. And let's ask him together to be, that he would be glorified in and through us this coming year. I want to ask that we can do this together in faith. We have two new members to present this morning and we want to present them Actually, before we have our supper, let me give some instructions. Uh, Phil, you can come on up. Robin, why don't you join him? Morris, you can come on up. Melissa, you're next. Hang tight. Just be ready. Uh, We're going to introduce Phil and Melissa here in a moment. But what I want to do, I want to give a little instructions while we're sort of gathering up here. Uh, Morris is going to introduce Phil. We're going to break up as we're going to have a time of worship. Uh, It's going to be instrumental here for a little bit where you can come up and you can gather here at these tables. These tables are going to be manned by our elders. And they're going to distribute the elements to you. And as the Lord leads, you can drop your uh, renewal card in that little basket there and spend a moment in prayer together as a family. If you came here as a young adult or an individual or a single or you're by yourself today for some reason, uh, then please let's connect it with another family and come up together. You shouldn't go up there by yourself. we would like uh, you to gather as, as groups as, as you can. Spend a, just, a, just a few moments in prayer up there. Take the supper together, and then you go ahead and be seated. I'll go ahead and turn it over to Morris. Y'all stay up here just for a minute. Come on up, Melissa. Melissa, come stand right here if you would. Wow. Miss popularity here. Wow, (laughs) Phil, we're glad you're here too. What's up, people? Melissa is, um, she's from San Antonio. Christy and I had the chance to visit with her on our porch on Friday. We spent some time just getting to know her some. She's uh, from San Antonio. She went to uh, undergrad and graduated Abilene Christian. Both, okay. And she works at Bowls as I think we heard the Bowles section over here. Yeah. Woo, woo, glad y'all are here, yeah. Um, have your little team. Did you, did you tell them to come? No, I I <laughs> Even with signs. Listen, one of the things I, I want to share with you a little bit about, about Melissa. She um, had an early faith journey, grew up in a Catholic home, had an early faith journey as a, 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 as a middle schooler. Uh, some exposure to the good news of, of who Christ was and what he had done for her and at that point uh, maybe some early gestures of faith but it was in college that I think she would, would represent that she really came to know, know the Lord uh, and she's continuing to come to know the Lord. That's the thing that I enjoyed about hearing Melissa's story is she's a work in progress as I think we're all supposed to be. That's what's really cool about hearing her share her story. It's not punctiliar can I use that word? It's not like done, one and done. It's like a migration movement into a walk with the Lord. She loves the Lord. She has an appetite for his story, for the story of God and his people. Uh, She wants to know and be known. She wants to connect in a meaningful way to the local body. Uh, she is just really hungry for the storyline. That's one of the things that I enjoyed hearing from her. She's meeting with Tracy uh, Fields weekly and being discipled by Tracy. Uh, she's making quality investment in people's lives at Bowles. I want just to, together we should just thank the Lord that the Lord's brought Phil and Melissa to be part of us and uh, I want to uh, pray and as I pray, then y'all can just be ready to come up in groups and just maybe kind of distribute yourselves over the course of this time. Uh, This maybe this half of the room could go to this side because we're a little heavier weighted in the room for one table That's equally set up as this table Um, And if we need some more Lord's Supper things, we'll bring those out in a moment, but I'm going to pray and then y'all as the music plays Y'all can go ahead and uh, start to move up to the tables on your own as the Lord leads you Lord, we are so thankful for uh, Phil and for Melissa We're so thankful for your faith work in their lives. They are trophies of your grace, Lord. We are thankful that you've drawn them to be part of this people, uh, that Phil and Robin are a couple, and we're so thankful that they're here together. Lord, we pray that you would use Phil to bless the saints. We pray that you would equip Phil to take your word and your aroma and your good news, uh, that he would be a man of sincerity that speaks in Christ where he goes. Lord, we pray this also for Melissa, that you would equip her... Uh, to just enjoy you out loud in every climate, place, where we are entrusting them to you and so thankful that you brought them to be part of this people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank y'all. Y'all can be seated. Y'all come on up as the Lord leads y'all.